0: Good morning, ICP. It's a pleasure to be with you once again. Um, I'm kind of short, so I'm going to move that out of the way there so that I can see you. You don't really need to see me, but I just want to see you. We're going to be in the book of Genesis this morning. And, um, you know, it is Advent, hence the ugly Christmas sweater. Um You know, you can't go through um, an Advent season without wearing one. And if you have the opportunity to preach, I recommend that you preach in one uh, as well. Uh, We're going to be in the book of Genesis, as I said, um, Genesis 3. This is God's Word. Now, the serpent Touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight To the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman. Whom you gave to be with me. She gave me fruit of the tree. And I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman. What is this you've done? The woman said the serpent deceived me. And I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent. Because you have done this. Cursed are you above all livestock. And above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go. And dust you shall eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman. And between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head. And you shall bruise his heel. And then down to verse 20. The man called his wife's name Eve. Because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. This is God's word. And Lord, we pray that you bless the preaching of your word this morning to your glory. Amen. You know, Christmas is a great time of the year, um, at least for the Corpus family. I'm one of those crazy people that in addition to wearing ugly Christmas sweaters with Spurgeon on them uh, to preach in, I start listening to Christmas music October 1st. That's right. October 1st. Why? Why? Because one month is not enough. Okay? It's just not. And some of these songs are amazing. All right? Now, look, I'm not talking like Jingle Bells and Up on the Housetop. I mean, look, I sing those too. I listen to those too. Uh, I have a friend who says those are an expression of common grace, a transparent wish for the joy, peace, and hope that only knowing the Savior can provide. But no, the reasons I start listening are different. Things like "Oh, Holy Night," "He Who Is Mighty," we just sang this one this morning. Hark, the herald angels! Oh, come! All ye faithful, oh come, oh come, Emmanuel, oh come, all you unfaithful, that may be a new one to you, look it up. (laughs) It's a real song, it does exist, it's a great song. Joy to the world, you get the picture. These are great. Hymns And and they speak about the greatness that Advent points us to, right? The coming of someone who is notable. A notable thing or person is what Advent means. The arrival of that thing or person. And for the church, it is the arrival, the coming of Jesus that we look forward to. And now, in 2022, we look forward to His coming a second time. And so you may be thinking, okay, Vince, but why Genesis 3? Why the fall? Why why are we preaching from the fall today? Well, the answer to that is found in the truth that I think this text holds out to us. Christ's coming sets right all that was damaged in the fall. You know, one one of these great Christmas songs says he comes to bring his blessings. How far? As far as the curse is found. Far as the curse is found. Far as... I'm sorry, you don't want me singing up here. He comes to set right all that was damaged in the fall. We're going to be looking at three different pieces of the Christmas puzzle today, and they reveal this truth: a renewed trust in the Lord, where the trust that the Lord sorry, where we trust that the Lord does indeed have our best interests in mind. There's also a renewed relationship with the Lord that Christ brings, where alienation is turned into sonship. And finally, there's a renewed righteousness that comes from the Lord that makes us able to enter into his presence again. These three things show us that Christ's coming sets all that was damaged in the fall. And and it comes through this promise given in Genesis 3. The seed of the woman that would crush the head of the serpent. While being wounded himself. It was indeed Christmas in the garden with those words. But you see, there would be no Christmas without the one coming to set right the fall. You see, there would be no Christmas without the baby in the manger but we can never forget that the baby in the manger grew up to be the man on the cross. The baby in Bethlehem would walk the streets to Jerusalem and he would be pierced for our transgressions. The little one born to poor, to two poor Jews would become the one condemned as the king of the Jews. The powerless one born was sent to reveal God the Father. The one who took on flesh would be killed and would be raised in imperishable flesh. We can never divorce Christmas from the cross. The incarnation and and what theologians call the passion are uniquely and intimately tied. One leads to the other. Incarnation becomes passing. Passing. The seed of the woman came to walk up the hill called Calvary. That is why we're reading and preaching from Genesis this morning. Because we cannot forget the reason for the season that Christ has come, but he came to set all, to set right all that was damaged in the fall. So let's get into it, shall we? Genesis 3 once again. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to her, said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. And you will be like God, knowing good from evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, This first section shows us the breaking of the trust in God that the man and the woman suffered. See, the serpent comes and he starts implanting these ideas, right? He starts kind of just whispering some ideas. Starts off very subtle. Hey, did God really say? Up until this point in Genesis, who is God referred to as? The Lord God. Yahweh Adonai. It's, it's God's covenant name and also a, a position of who He is. He is God. He is your covenant God and He is also the supreme God. The serpent just comes and says, hey, did God really say this? He removes that covenant name. Did God actually say, you, can, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And then when we look at her response, we see something that's, to me is a little bit remarkable here. In addition to the commandment that God gave, there's an addition, right? There's an addition to the commandment that God gave. Hey, yeah, we shouldn't eat from this. We also shouldn't touch it. Now look, it's hard to determine... Who added the commandment? Was it the, God, the man or the woman? I don't know. I've got some ideas. If you want to talk about that later, we can do that. They're not necessarily right for preaching time. But here's the thing. The man was there and he didn't, he didn't step up and say, actually. And so the fact that this change can occur shows that both of them, I would say, thought that God's commands are open to human modification. They are open to some type of change here. Why? Because it's stated here. Hey, yeah, we shouldn't even touch it as well. And this sense of the commands being open to change shows us that there's already a a, a root of distrust. And then the serpent goes further. "Ah, You won't die. You won't surely die. God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like him. God's holding out on you. He knows what's going to really happen. And you know what's going to really happen? You're going to be like God. And the woman... And it says that the woman saw the tree was good for food and a delight to the eyes and was to be desired to make one wise. She saw it was good for food. But in the desert after 40 days, what what does Jesus say to Satan, the serpent? He says, man does not live on bread alone, but what? On every word that comes from the mouth of God. They are to be desired to make one wise. But what is wisdom? What is the beginning of wisdom? That's a real question. Fear of the Lord. Yes. She saw that it was a delight to the eyes. She is one who in no way who, who in a way that has not happened since then, was able to meet with God and see the splendor of God in the garden. And yet, she sees this and says, man, it's a delight for the eyes. And as things progress, they eat the fruit. And they see that they're naked. And they attempt to cover themselves. They sew some fig leaves together to make loincloths. Have you ever tried to cover your own sin or wrongdoing? I have. It doesn't work very well. It ends up causing you to hide, maybe be clothed with shame even, because you don't want anyone else to see what's really going on. That's what Adam and Eve are doing here. They're trying to cover up their wrong rather than go to God and confess and seek help. They cover themselves. It's further proof that they don't trust Him any longer. They don't trust Him. We see the same thing happening today, right? So many people just don't trust the Lord. And they're willing to cover themselves up. Christ's coming sets right all that was damaged in the fall. So how does Jesus' coming renew our trust in the Lord? Well, you see, Christmas is a piece of that. It is the promise being fulfilled. The promise, as soon as sin came into the world, God made a promise. Hey, I will send one who will undo this. And he has come. The seed of the woman has been sent. And seeing God's trustworthiness, Proven helps us to trust Him even more. Seeing God's promises fulfilled shows He can be trusted. However, the trust being renewed goes deeper than that. You remember last week, Ted was talking about the Word became flesh and made His dwelling place among us. Well, the Word... That was open to human modification. It can now never be changed. It is the God man come in the flesh, Jesus Christ, who only speaks the words that he was given by his Father. Trustworthy. The promise has been fulfilled. Trustworthy. He has sent the trustworthy son who is the word incarnate that will never change. And we see, we see the lie of the serpent. God knows he's holding out on you. No, he did not hold out even to his son. He gave all And the best that he had. He can be trusted. He can be trusted. When we come. Seeking help and forgiveness. But he goes further than that. See, Christ's coming sets right all that was damaged. So let's look at the second piece of this Christmas puzzle, the the renewed relationship with the Lord. Verse 8, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid. Because I was naked. And I hid myself. And he said, who told you? you were naked. Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Second thing this text shows us damaged is the relationship between the people and God. They hear the sound of God walking in the garden and they hide themselves. But in his grace, God doesn't let that stand. You see, God knows all. Systematic theology would say God knows not only all, but all possibilities. So he already knows that they've eaten the fruit from the tree in the midst of the garden that he commanded them not to eat. And what does he do? He goes looking for them. And when he can't find them, he calls out to the man, Hey, where are you? They are hiding in their nakedness, and the Lord calls them back. Now look, nakedness in the Bible is not merely a lack of clothing. It, it is that, but it's also more. It's, it's, a, it's being totally laid bare, being exposed, your sin exposed, your shortcomings exposed, your failures being exposed, being laid bare. Everything that you want hidden is exposed. And God calls to the man, Where are you? And his answer, I heard the sound of you in the garden. And I was afraid. I was afraid. The man and his wife. Enjoyed fellowship and communion with God. And now, now they know fear when he is close by. When they used to enjoy meeting him as no one else has, they now hide and cower in fear. The relationship between God and man has been broken. And nothing but mistrust and fear define that relationship. Again, they could have come to God when they realized they were naked. They could have confessed. And I I believe that it is very likely that they would have received forgiveness. But they hid and they tried to cover it up. I was afraid. Why? I would say because they no longer loved God. You know, John tells us that There is no fear in love. But perfect fear, perfect love (laughs) drives out fear. And they now feared God because they believed the lie that He was holding out on them. And then Adam tells God, Hey, 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 it's not really my fault. It's the woman you put here, it's your fault. It's your fault, God. You were holding out. You didn't tell us the whole truth. We're not dead. The woman whom you gave. It illustrates the relationship between them and God was utterly broken there's another relationship that's broken as well. The relationship between the man and woman themselves is broken. See, it wasn't good enough for Adam just to say, hey, it's your fault. No, he's like, hey, it's her fault. And by extension, since you put her here, it's your fault. If she wouldn't have given it to me, I never would have taken it and eaten it. It's all on her. threw his wife under the bus she gave me the fruit it's all her fault God and there's another relationship broken the relationship between man and creation is also broken because when he asked the woman about it she says hey not my fault One of your creatures. How does Jesus coming set right the broken piece, this broken piece of the puzzle? Well, the first thing he does is he reconciles us to God. You see, in the genealogy of Jesus in Luke 3, we, we get all the way back to Adam and we read what about Adam, that he was a son of God. And so Jesus reconciles us to sonship with God. He writes the relationship between man and God by allowing us to come back into the fold. Paul says that we have received adoption as sons of God. And if sons, then co-heirs with Christ. Now look, don't let the word sons throw you off if you're female. It can mean sons and daughters. It can mean children. But it does say sons. That's why I'm saying sons. And then John tells us, see what Kind of love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. Our deepest relationship is renewed through. Faith through in the birth, the life, and the death of Jesus on behalf of his people. And he goes further than that. He renews the relationship not only between husband and wife, but between man, mankind. How? Well, we read in Ephesians hey, he has broken down the dividing wall, and where, well, first between us and God, and then where two men once stood, now there is one in Christ. And he will one day reconcile all of creation back to himself. Right now, creation is groaning and waiting for that day. And at the second advent, it will come to pass that all that was damaged in the fall, Christ will set right. Which brings us to the third piece of the puzzle a renewed righteousness. Verse 20 The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Lord God made skins and clothed them. What a beautiful picture! of all that the man and the woman believed about God to be utterly false, to just be wrong. They thought he was holding out. They thought he couldn't be trusted. They were afraid of him. And in grace, he kills part of his creation that did not rebel against him to make a covering for the ones who did. God made a sacrifice to cover The sins of the sinful. Adam and Eve tried to cover their sin and failed. Only making for themselves loincloths. The Lord God made them garments. He made clothes for them. Highlights another way that Christ's coming sets right all that was damaged in the fall. We needed something that we couldn't make. Adam and Eve needed a covering and their failed attempt only made loincloths, only made a mockery of their nakedness. And God said, don't worry, I'll cover your sin for you. I'll cover your nakedness. We needed a righteousness that comes from God. We had lost it in the fall. You see, us being in Adam when he sinned means we also sinned and died and were condemned. And all mankind today finds itself in one of two places. We are either in Adam as Paul says, or we are in Christ as Paul says. There's no in-between. So we are covered with the unrighteousness of Adam or we are covered with the righteousness of Christ. And if we are in Christ, covered with his righteousness, we are alive because he came to set right all that was broken in the fall. His righteousness is now counted as ours through faith The third piece of the puzzle that Christ's coming is it that he renews our righteousness. You see, Christmas started in the garden as soon as sin entered and then God made a promise. He, he told of the seed who would crush the head of the serpent. So let's very quickly look at the seed who crushes The head of the serpent. Verse 15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Many theologians call this the the proto-evangelium or euangelium in most cases. Um, Just means first gospel, okay? Fancy Greek sounding words. Sorry, sometimes I nerd out. The first gospel. This is why we celebrate Christmas. The gospel promise made in Genesis 3.15 came true when Jesus was born to Mary and Joseph in the town of Bethlehem. The road that Mary and Joseph walked to Bethlehem ends in Jerusalem. The cradle turns into the cross. The child is the Messiah, the promised one who had crushed the head of the serpent. And that happens by his death in the place of his people to pay for their sins Paul calls Jesus the second Adam and he pays he pays for the sin of the first Adam. The seed of the woman redeems all the offspring of the woman yet to be born. This is how the Christmas story finds its fruition. And it's not done yet. It's not done yet. Today the seed of the woman is still being redeemed. He is still free. He's still redeeming. I'm sorry. He's still freeing. He's still giving his righteousness to his people. More and more each and every day are coming to Christ in faith. And he will be victorious in the end. Because he triumphed. Over the serpent at the cross. He crushed his head. At the cross. Where he was bruised. Where he was stricken with stripes. That brought us healing. And he's covering more and more people every day. Until he comes again. And here in a bit. We are going to come to the Lord's Supper. and eat in remembrance and celebration of the seed of the woman who has indeed crushed the head of the serpent. Let's praise His name. Let's remember His life, death, and resurrection to free us. And remember that Christmas started in the garden, but it ended with an empty tomb. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your grace to us. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Christ and his overcoming of the serpent. Lord, we thank you for the righteousness that he has provided, the righteousness that he so freely gives. Lord, we thank you that he has redeemed us and reconciled us to God and reconciled us to one another. Father, as we go from this place, help us. Help us to be ambassadors of Christ. Help us to be those who are making an appeal. That whom you are making an appeal through. Help us to point others to the head-crushing seed of the woman named Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.